This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're gonna have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net, and please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Daniel Fenner. Afternoon, Danny. How are you, man? I'm doing well, thanks, yes, sir. Yourself? Very well, thanks. We're looking forward to this one in particular. Uh, Dan, just before we get into the thick of it, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Um, yeah, my name's um, Danny Fenner. Uh, I currently work for the FA, and my role is a coach development officer in the grassroots team, and part of my role is to support coaches from underrepresented communities, and the area that I work in is in the southeast. Um, and a little bit about me in terms of what I do in football at this present time. I've got three daughters and I run a female football club um, based in a little village in Essex. And um, yeah, just doing the volunteering bit and doing the coaching bit, doing the organisation, the phone calls, the emails, and um, just trying to give opportunities to maybe girls that probably wouldn't have never got this type of opportunity, but um, really getting a lot from it as well. Amazing, Dan. So just, you know, just t- 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 take us right back to the start of the journey. Obviously, you know, we've all got different paths that we've kind of followed to kind of, I guess, get where we are in our journeys. Um, and for a lot of us, that kind of often starts with being players that haven't really, seen, haven't really kind of turned that into a career and then moved into coaching. What was that for you? Um, so. To take you back on my journey, um, it probably have to go back to my parents. So, mum and dad from the Windrush generation came over um, in the 1960s, and um, my dad is an electrician, my mum is a nurse, and they didn't want me or my sister to be a electrician or a nurse. They wanted us to be solicitors or earn money and get a profession. But looking back at it now, I'd have loved to be an electrician, um, knowing how much it charged the electrician's charges. Um, so yeah, so their mindset was all about education, education, education. Went to school um, and school was good. Um, I wasn't like in the bottom sets and I wasn't in the top sets. Um, my GCSE grades weren't great. And that was not failure of me not 
doing any extra work or extra revision. It's just where I was at at that present time. Um, I was all D's and E's. I think it's all changed now. I think it's all level fours or level nines or something like that. But anyway, I was like in that middle bit. So I never really got the marks to go to do A levels. So I was fortunate enough. Um, my PE teacher, when I got the results, because I wanted to be a physiotherapist at the time, because I was doing PE and I was doing science, um, and I didn't get the grades um, to do A-levels, so my PE teacher said, look, you need to go to college um, and get a vocational award, and that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I got a, um, I went to a college, Bromley College, and I got a GNVQ in leisure and tourism, but it was a sports pathway. And within that, I got my FA Level 1 within my first year. So I'm going to go back to your question about being a failed player. I was never a player. I played grassroots football um, to the age of 24, 25. Um, I played at a level that wasn't semi-professional, but it was just a good level of football that I played with my friends. Um, and the story behind it is I'm a better cricketer than I am a footballer. Um, from a West Indian family, um, I played for the London schools in cricket, so I was a more of an elite cricketer than I was a footballer, but I just like sports in general. Um, and the journey so far where it started was I got my FA Level 1 being at college, and back in that day it was a, it was a one day or two day course. And um, one of my friends at college worked in a leisure centre, so I went and worked at the leisure centre to start off as a cleaner, and a party host because the other part of the leisure centre job was being a lifeguard and at that point I wasn't a very competent swimmer so the party host bit was about having like 20 30 kids and taking them on a party in a sports hall and it was usually football parties or multi-sports um age of 16 17 I think it was five pound or four pound 74 an hour and I loved it because at the end of it um I used to get tips and you know, it, it would probably be like £10, but back in that day, £10 was a lot of money. You know, £10 could, you know, carry you for a week, fill your tank up with petrol. And um, I really enjoyed it and I had a niche for it. And my duty manager worked for a football company and it was called Goals, but it's not the goals that we know of in terms of the five-a-side pitches. This again was, this was 25 years ago, a gentleman had a company called Goals, Steve Kinchin, and he said, look, we need coaches. Do you fancy coming down? You, you, you're really good with the kids. Give it a go. Never thought about coaching. And it was an October half term. And I turned up thinking, I'm just going to pick up some cones, pick up some balls. The FA level one didn't really give me as much as what probably the I2CF gives you now or the level ones after that. It was no, it wasn't that. It was like, they're the reception in year one kids. It's 10 o'clock, see you at three o'clock. They have lunch between 12 and one, off you go. And that was it. Um, that was my start of my coaching journey. Um, I think two of the three days it rained. Um, toilet breaks to kids crying for their mums, to kids going actually wanting to be there, to kids who wanted to be there that were good football players and I enjoyed it. Then, you know, it was it was grounding for me you know i'm envious of people that get into coaching and they get their first role in an academy or a grassroots club with they've got self like welfare officers and you know they've got 
head coaches and people that can help them and they've got mentors and community champions. Um, I'm really envious of that. Um, but I'm also really grateful that I got put in that position. So yeah, that was the start of my coaching journey. Quite, quite interesting, obviously, because you know, there's been a lot of changes over the years, especially in terms of coach education. Obviously, you're heavily involved in that now and, and have been for a few years recent. But that could probably have been quite a daunting experience to start with. You know, I mean, you just get chucked in the deep end and it was one of them ones where you could probably sink or swim. So, you know, what, what was it that kept you going and uh, I guess really kept you in it? Because there's a lot of people who probably would have had that experience early on and been like, no, nah, this isn't for me. Yeah, it's a good question. Yes, a couple of things to answer in regards to that was the first bit was it was the money. I think I got paid £50 a day or £40 a day. And again, 25 years ago, that was serious money. You know, that's, you know, that's rent with petrol money, paying for insurance for the car. And, you know, I could go down to Choice. If people remember Choice, the um, designer um, clothes shop and get myself a pair of Armani jeans. You know, it was, it was good money. So that was the first thing. Second thing, um, I got a lot of thank yous and smiles and um the person steve kinchin said look we've got the christmas special i want you in for those two days so people actually wanted me they, I, I found a niche I, I, again I, now i now i understand it but before i didn't really understand it so basically either my friends at the age of 16 to 17 were working in fast food food restaurants earning minimum wage and not really enjoying it and to my friends that were working there weren't really getting the gratitude that I was getting and the vocational experience that I was getting. So there were the kind of things that kept me in. And I think the third thing, and I'm thinking on top of my head, I really liked working with kids. And then realizing now, um, 25 years on, I really like working with players between the ages of five to 11. There's just something there for me. I know, again, and we might talk about later in terms of, you know, where I ended up coaching, but I've always liked working with the five to 11 year old age groups, you know, the creativity, the environment, the willingness to learn. When you, when you think about it, you know, everything you say, they're like capturing it, thinking, oh yeah, Danny's asked us to drop our shoulders, to get the outside hook turn and go, and they will go and explore it because they want to be better. Um, so it was that element that, I really enjoyed those three. You know, just, to, just to build on that, obviously you talked about working with some of the younger players and you know, a lot of people coming into coaching, you know, like I said, different paths, um, often have an ambition of working at the highest highest level, working at first team football. Um, but obviously it's not as simple as just, you know, starting your journey and landing one of those kind of jobs. If at all, um, you do have to get an opportunity to do that anyway. So I guess, you know, working with those younger players, what, what was it for you that kind of really, attach you to them because obviously we've all got different experiences different preferences around that I actually personally um find myself gravitating more towards kind of like 14s to kind of 18 kind of bracket and I think whether that's heavily influenced by the experiences I had early on in my coaching journey or whether it was just a, a personality thing I'm not too sure at this point in time but what, what, what was it for you about the, those younger age groups in particular? I think the bit about being a kid um being a child 
you could make mistakes without them actually not knowing that you've made a mistake. Um, you could amuse them during the day, uh, whether it be with jokes or just being really, really enthusiastic. Um, and you see me when I've delivered on CPD events, I can go a little bit over the top, I get really excited. Uh, but the kids gravitated to that with the ages of 5 to 11, the primary school. Um, I spoke about the innocence, I spoke about the creativity and I just felt a connection there and I really enjoyed doing doing that particular work and working with that particular age group. And then, you know, I'm just I'm just, I'm just thinking about it because I'm, you know, I'm making some notes here as you're talking there. I'm thinking to myself, what you talk about, how, you know, being a kid, does that ever stop? You know, does it, you know, because I, I find that I think a lot of the people that I've perceived, well, I don't think I've ever come across a player in particular that hasn't wanted to be there because they've enjoyed it. I mean, sometimes you get the odd player here or there that gets dropped off because their parents, you know, and, and, and need some time to themselves to go and do whatever else it is they need to do, especially when you're outside of maybe the elite environments in particular, you know, those kind of dropping sessions, grassroots clubs, if you like. Um, but that, that, I think that piece, that piece stays consistent throughout the age group. So, don't, don't you think? Yeah, most definitely. And they are just kids, the kids to the age of 16 when we think about it. And um, I think the top tip that I could give any coach is, and a lot of you know good coach educators, developers talk about it, is treating them as human beings and not as players. And especially not treating them as adult players, um, treating, treating them for what their age is. So if it is five-year-olds and we're doing a game, you know, why can't I chuck out, you know, comments like Peppa Pig or Thomas the Tank Engine or even just being really personal and go, what is your personal, um, what is your favourite cartoon? Just to know the child in general and to build that connection because, you know, people on this call might laugh about it, but we've all watched, watched Milkshake and Cartoon Network. We all know a few of the cartoons and whatnot. And to have that instant relationship there where that child looks and goes, oh, my God, he's not too big enough to have a chat with me or to talk about these various cartoons or various things that I do at this age builds that connection straight away. And, you know, some people have got the niche for it. Some people are able to work with 18 to 21 year olds because they can relate to it a little bit more. They know the inner things like for me now working in say if someone said to me oh you're going to work with the pdp phase i haven't got a clue about 18 to 21 year olds what's going through their mind and whatnot in terms of social media and whatnot i'm so out of the loop with that stuff but knowing what i know and being a kid at heart working with the 5 to 11s i could definitely relate to that so i'd give any top tip to a coach is you know be versatile you know that's not saying that i don't want to work with older players i certainly do and i will but also just, you know, having your head as well, you know, what what weight makes me tick that will then make the players tick as well and build that relationship. Definitely. I think it's really important to kind of identify that. And I think coaches to really understand that, you know, they might have a natural, you know, a, a natural kind of tendency to work towards a particular age group, a particular type of group in, 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 in any way, shape or form. But, you know, something that you mentioned, there, obviously, that, you know, a lot of coach educators do kind of lean on the message of, you know, treat them as human beings. Well, you know, obviously, coach education has changed massively over the last, you know, ten years. Let alone the last twenty-five, thirty. So, was that a message that you'd got on, got early on? Because I know that you know, obviously there's been massive changes in that, and it was very much yeah. kind of a one a one size fits all approach earlier on. I didn't get that early in my coaching career. So, 
if I took, take you back to my coaching journey, I got my level one when I was 16. I got my level two when I was 18. Um, and I got my UEFA B when I was 24. So, and before that, it was all about players. It wasn't really about human beings. It wasn't really about, you know, the person itself. And, you know, we talk about the four corners quite a bit. A lot of it I got was, uh, it was around 2006, I went to Keele University and it was the start of the youth modules. So it was youth module one, creating the environment, youth module two, developing the practice and youth module three, developing the player, I believe. And that was the full youth award. And in my four days at Keele, I really got it you know what it is about creating the environment and having those age, age phases for the five to 11 year olds to 12 to 16 year olds and the adult players and that really gave me a lot of information knowledge to help and support me on my coaching journey and also support the players that I was working with so that's when the light bulb probably clicked for me when I was about 26 I was working at Leighton Orient and I always was working with the under nines and under tens, and I loved working with that age group. But I went to Keel University, um, and I've done it with the FA, done the youth modules, and it was to creating a positive, no, yeah, creating a positive environment. It was Tessa Payne, Richard Orner, um, John Allpress, and some of the messages were just like light bulb moments. I was just like, wow, I've been coaching now for ten years, and I've been doing everything wrong. Now knowing that I wasn't doing everything wrong, but obviously this new information came to me and I was just like, this sits with me, this sits with my philosophy, this sits with my rationale, uh, this sits with my behaviour, this is what I want to go and do. Just to build on that, then obviously talking about having a philosophy, having your own idea of what you want to do, how, how important is that for coaches? Because obviously I think early on, you know, we're kind of, often go into it with, you know, maybe influence of past experiences, both as a player and maybe as watching other coaches, you know, to picking up points on maybe what other coaches have done. Let's go and let's go and do that because that's all I know. And, you know, really starting to understand who you are as a coach. How important, you, how important do you think that is? And, you know, how, what advice and, you know, guidance would you give to coaches thinking, right, I'm, at, I'm early on in my journey. I don't really know who I am as a coach. Um, it might not even be necessary early on, but it might not. It might be a few years into that journey where they're still kind of trying to find themselves and identify what that looks like. It's it's hard, yes. Uh, I'm going to try and answer it personally from my point of view, but then also I'm going to try and empathise a little bit if people that are listening to this um, this podcast and where they might be on this journey. So if I started myself, I didn't know what my philosophy. My philosophy was always the environment that I worked in. So whether I worked for Leighton Orient, um, whether I worked for Charlton, whether I worked grassroots clubs or worked in schools or worked for an organisation or a company or a charity, it was always their philosophy. So whatever they said, I went and delivered, you know. Um, it wasn't until I went on my UEFA A, um, which I was about 37, I think, 37, 38, I went on my UEFA A. And just remember, so that's 10 years after I've done my UA for B. And the courses previous didn't talk about philosophies or um, talk about your coaching behaviour or the way you manage yourself. 
or talk about self. It was all about the coaching practice, the design, technical detail. So when I done my UA for A, they done a lot about self. There was like a three days on self. And I learned a lot about myself and I created um, my values. And, you know, part of my values was about inclusion and empathy. And they were my two big bullet points, which really helps me now and really drives what I do. But I didn't get that till I was 37, 38. So I was I was always doing what other people asked me to do or if I was working in a say academy environment and I wanted to get myself to the next level, I'd be looking at that person at the next level and role modeling myself of them rather than being authentic. So that's that's how I've got my philosophy, you know, going on the UA UA for A license and learning a little bit more about me. Just on that before you progress, I mean, it's quite interesting to say that you know going into different minds, and I'm sure there's many many people are, are probably in a similar situation now, and I, and I totally understand where you're coming from when you say that you've had to kind of assimilate to the philosophies of the of the environments you've worked in. Did you know? But surely at some points within that, you must have had situations where you were somewhat um, resistant to the way of way, way of working, but you maybe maybe you kind of carried on with it anyway because it was what the environment expected or demanded of you in that if if you like. Yeah, yeah, all the time. It was all the time. Um, at that time, I don't know how many people of colour was working in football academies. So it was one of those that, you know, I was fortunate enough to get roles in, but I didn't want to stir, you know, the apple cart or disrupt things because a I wanted to leave the leave my place, my position in a better place for someone to come into. But then also I didn't. It's a small world football. Um, I didn't want not have to um, not get the opportunities to get jobs because I disagreed with someone within the academy. Now I know a little bit more and I'm older and I'm wiser. Um, yeah, I would have done it. I did feel a bit restless, uncomfortable in times, um, but it was one occasion. And that's why I've never gone back into academy football is when my last football club that I worked with, I had a disagreement with the not the head of coaching, but also the um, the academy manager, and it was due for me. It was about player welfare, and they disagreed with it, and they had different thoughts. And I went back home. I spoke to my wife about it. She said, "Look, you're upset about it." And I spoke to a few friends and family about it. And two days later, I ended up and um ended in my resignation. That was easy for me to do. I already had a full time job. What I was doing at this academy was part time. And it got to that part of that season as well, you know, that March, April time where you just run down and it's like, no, I've just had enough now and I'm not going to take this. It was the best thing that I've ever done. Um, it probably burnt a lot of bridges for me to go into academy environments because the people that I was working for are still in academy environments. But for me, I can hold my head up higher and then also hopefully people that know my story and know that what I went through can go do you know what if Danny can do it maybe I can do it as well but I wanted to move to that second point yes where that I was talking about myself personally but people I can emphasize with people that 
their dream is to work in certain environments and they get there and it's not what they seen and it's not what they expected. And they're working under these extreme pressures and sometimes environments that don't suit their personality or their characteristics. And I empathise with that and I don't think it's right, but then I do emphasise that, do you know what, they need to build their credit so they can move to somewhere else where we'll, you know, accommodate their, you know, their personality, their characteristics and their methodology and philosophy. So it's a hard one. It's a real hard one. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I think it's some great points. You know, it's, I was going to kind of lead on to asking you about that, you know, because there is a lot of people out there who've got an ambition or a dream, if you like, working in specific environments, in particular working in academies and, and whatnot. And obviously recognising that every environment is different. Um, there's going to be some that are more um, productive and more um, progressive than others, shall we say. What, 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 what can you tell us about, you know, from your perspective working in an academy of ramp because like i said there's gonna be a lot of people listening to this that have even currently working in academies have been working in academies in the past but more important those that are looking to kind of take that step and progress into that into that environment what, what you know what are some of the things that you can kind of share with us from your perspective that will allow people to go into the into that situation with their eyes wide open if you like yeah yeah i think leading on to the eyes wide open so have an open mind about it um and I'm talking about, I'm only talking about um, three academies that I've been in. There's another 89 boys academies and X amount of girls academies that are out there, um, all doing some great work and some fantastic work. Um, I, I, my top tip for anybody going into any job, forget being in the academy and whatnot, is to do your research beforehand. Talk to people within that environment that are in there as well um and then you can get a bit of a flavor from it in you know what they feel it's like um they might put you off they might want to drag you in um some of it might be relevant to you some of it might be they're only saying it because again they don't want to create chinese whispers or anything like that but i'll definitely go and do your research in it if you can find a parent within that academy environment they can have a chat with and go do you know what well your son or daughter was in there for four or five years how did they find it um ask some direct questions beforehand to the head of coaching or the academy manager on you know support what kind of support that you can get and be as authentic as you can during the interview because if they do take you on they know what they're taking you know so it's very important just to kind of highlight that you but I think probably a lot of people listening to this think yeah that's all well and good but it's, it's a bit of a challenge it's a bit difficult to get I think the reality is though sorry yes I'm losing you I just want to share with everyone that I think it's really important to understand that it's not as difficult as some of us may have initially thought or see or it or it seems to actually connect with some of the people that are in these environments yeah. i think that, that that bit really needs to be highlighted so you, you know it is possible to connect with these individuals whether that be coaches in the academy whether it be heads of coaching whether that be academy managers themselves who in my experience in particular if you approach it in the right way a lot of them are very receptive and, and are very willing to support you 
and give you and give you give you some insight, give you some information, possibly even allow you to come into the environment, ex explore and observe, observe what's going on there. So I think there is definitely opportunities for you know for any coaches that are thinking about moving into the academy space or in any space really, find out who's working there, get some direct point of, points of contact. It is possible to, for it to, for it to happen as well, um, and ask the questions that really want to know the answers to don't be you know don't be don't be shy to ask any particular questions obviously be mindful that there's going to be certain things that they can and can't share for different reasons but you know if you've got things on your mind definitely put it out there yeah most definitely and you know linkedin is a perfect way you know everybody's on linkedin at the moment um sharing ideas and doing things so if you did want to go and work for joe blogs academy um you know find someone that works in there in that found in that um phase that you want to go into and have that brief and ask if you can have that brief conversation if they don't reply back that's where you probably know it's probably not the place that i want to go into or be in and around but the the academy system now is so much more advanced than what it was you know 20 years ago when i first started off it's it's more you know it's more forward thinking a lot of the people that are doing the head of coaching like there was never a head of coaching or anything like that um yeah, forward thinking, the amount of support that they do get as well, you know, from the FA in terms of the FA YCDs that go in and do that kind of bespoke sport, um, the full-time opportunities as well that are in there. Um, but no job, and, you know, hopefully this comes across well, no job is, is a bed of roses. There's always challenges. Um, there's always confrontation. There's always something that you don't like. But it's just you as a human being um, and an employee, how can you make you better yourself within that environment? And the big thing, yes, sir, is one of the main reasons why I it took me so long to make that jump, um, to be, you know, proactive and say, no, I'm not having this anymore. Is that the players that I was working with, because that kind of commitment bit, I start with you in August and we finish in June. And it was that commitment bit and not, you know, the only reason why I didn't want to leave some of these environments was because of that. So, um, yeah, it was the relationship with the kids. Dad, I just want to take, take you back to something that you mentioned there, obviously, you know, you know, about LinkedIn and things like that and, you know, reaching out to people. I think one of the things I've often found as well is that, you know, some of these people, they, they, they probably get these messages time after time and day after day from different individuals. So I think one of the key things to kind of really highlight there as well is as an individual, if you're going to be... Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Getting in touch with some of these people that you want to kind of um, get access to, if you like, is to really set yourself apart. I remember, um, you know, a few years ago where I was I was on the kind of on a bit of a journey of, you know, going and doing some study visits and observations in different academies. And uh, one of the academies which I was fortunate enough to go in, you know, spend some time in was actually at Chelsea. I remember coming in and um, the guy that greeted me when I got there, he, he basically said to me, I, I don't know what, I don't know what you've said um, to the academy manager, but 
literally gets these messages all the time and he, he's literally come to me specifically and said i have to get you in yeah um so you know it, it is possible about to get into these environments and sometimes you know if they if, if it's the same old messages seen again and again they, they might they might ignore it um but i think sometimes just you know putting it in a way where you're separating yourself from kind of the rest of the group if you like in terms of who, who's trying to get access to the opportunities is, is very important but i want to kind of take it back to your own journey a little bit now and you know you talk about where we started and you talk about some of your experience working in the academy what, what does that look like in between so in between where i started uh, my first coaching experience to where i am now uh, yeah but even even a little bit further back to where you are now because obviously you know you talk there about you know doing your b license at 24 doing your level two at 18 you know you started obviously doing the, you know the, the kind of the holiday camps and the kind of day the day camps um initially for the money um all the riches that you were gaining early on in your in your career um so like from there to kind of you know eventually transition into that academy kind of role because that that's an, i think that's another massive challenge and another another insight i think people can really really do within that a lot of coaches especially nowadays you know coaches are getting younger and younger and it's not necessarily a bad thing but i think it sometimes can um cloud their judgment in terms of just how easy and uh, challenging it may or may not be to actually get into an academy environment if that is their ambition at all yeah really good question so it's just i'm just trying to figure out if you're saying that i'm really old and saying that that in between bit so i'll, I'll take i'll take that as a Take this a punch. Uh, so the in-between bit, the in-between bit was me was going to America for four years. So for the age of 19 to 23, I went back and forth from America and I'd done like four or five month stints. I worked for an organization called Major League Soccer. Same thing again, really, but I got the best of both worlds. I got the best of both worlds in a sense that I was working in a foreign country. Um, I was able to be coaching football so during the day we'd do like camps and for certain, like I'm, I'm telling you this and it's great that like I'm jogging my memory on this, is that I always worked with the babies, I always worked and they used to call them munchkins. So they started young over there, like three to four year olds and you used to do like an hour and a half. So you used to do like 10 o'clock to 11.30, have a break, the new bunch of munchkins will come in, munchkins will come in from 12 o'clock to 1.30 and then the new ones will come in from 2 o'clock to 3.30 and they should job done. So you've done three blocks of those when other people would take the 11, 12 year olds and take them from like 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Um, I like doing the same game three times in a day. I don't know. That is, maybe I was cheating. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, but in the evenings, we used to then go and do camps. So I used to get... I wouldn't say academy work, but especially the female game over there was so much more advanced to what it was um, in England, you know, 25 years ago. But it was, you know, working with some really, really good players, good facilities, sometimes working at universities and colleges. Um, and part of that America bit was being away from home and being away from the norm and meeting new people. So every week we would go from camp to camp and you'd be with a cluster of five in a car, travel. These people could be from anywhere from Manchester to Northern Ireland to Scotland, and you'd bond, you'd work together. And then all of a sudden on a Sunday, you get your email to say, all right, then you have to meet at this place. And then you have another set of four people. 
and everybody goes off and you're traveling around America delivering that. Um, that was a real big eye opener for me. That was really good grounding. It develops my coaching and it developed me being away from home as well. I've, I've, I don't know why it's not as big as what it was back in the day, maybe because I'm out of the loop at the moment. But when I do talk to coaches, it's like, you know, are you married? No. Have you got a mortgage? No. Um, have you got any parental responsibilities? No. So why aren't you traveling and seeing the world and getting paid from it and getting a great experience from it as well? You know, coaching football. You know, for me, it was a no brainer. And um, I look at it now and I look at it as a no brainer. I, obviously, COVID would have stopped that play for that for a couple of years. But what a great opportunity to do that. Um, and then when I came back to England after about four years, mum and dad gave me an ultimatum, you know, get a proper job, get a real job. Again, you know, football coach back then wasn't looked at as a real job, which it wasn't in a sense because you used to have like five or six jobs in coaching to pay the rent and pay your bills and to do whatever during the day. Um, but I was fortunate enough to, when I did come back, I applied for a role at NACRO. So NACRO was a crime um crime prevention agency and basically went into prisons and went into youth hostels and stuff like that and worked with young offenders and i got a role as a football development officer creating football opportunities in nacro funny enough it was in epping so if anyone knows epping it wasn't the most you know crime affected area but anyway that was my region i'd done some work in there really enjoyed it um was able to do some sub stuff as well you know own private coaching with other people and then a role came up at Leighton Orient as a community sports development officer um it was one of those interviews that I really bossed I really owned it because I'd just done America and I came back and I was nine months into NACRO so I had all the confidence in the world and I've had all the experience in the world that I could just draw onto. Um, and they took the they took the um they took the chance on me with Leighton Orient, which was great. And it was the community program. So it wasn't the center of excellence at that time. It was the community program. The best thing for me in that is that I had to go into nurseries and do sessions. I had to go on estates and do sessions like kick sessions and stuff like that. I had to do after school clubs, I had to do PPA stuff during the day. Um what else did I have to do? Disability stuff, like we've done some stuff like mental health and um, we've done some stuff with like, you know, children with autism and stuff like that. So again, you know, what an experience all rounded. And I really like that charity work. Um, one of the guys there, Gary Casters, had a look at the, one of the sessions that I was doing and it was basically a session that I started off 4.30 to 5.30 and it built to like 70, 80 kids, but it was only a pound a session. It doesn't mean much, but to that community, it was it was a godsend because you had coaches that were coaching him on a 3G pitch. And um, he came up to me and by chance, he went, you know, what do you do on Tuesday and Thursdays? Uh, not much. What qualification have you got? It's like UA for B. He goes, well, I want you to come in and do some work via under nines and under tens. I want you to work under these two coaches. So right there, if... I, if I wasn't there at that right time at that right place and he wasn't walking into the car park and he didn't see me, my academy journey wouldn't have started. Um, so that happened. I worked at the academy for three, four years, really enjoyed it. Worked with a gentleman called Ross Embleton. He's now at Colchester United. Um, we were the same age. He was the academy manager. 
I ended up being the under nines coach, but then there was a uh, a scheme that was put on with the football league clubs about a skills coach. So the skills coach would be full time within it because there weren't any full time roles in that time. It was all part time apart from the academy manager, maybe the under 18s and the youth team. That was it. Like if you're under 16 coach, there was no full time opportunities or under nines. So the community program plus the center of excellence put my roles together. So I've done that, but then also done the community work. When I left Leighton Orient, um, I went to work for a organization called Greenhouse and Greenhouse is a sports charity that works with um, underrepresented kids in the communities, working in schools. And um, I've done that for four or five years and part time work. I was working with Charlton. So that was the in between stuff a lot of stuff um a lot of stuff some of it wasn't even football if i'll be quite honest with you some of the stuff that i was doing um call it babysitting um call it supporting people calling it giving people opportunities or experiences call it what you want but it wasn't anything to do with my ua for b football i think, I think there's a lot in there and i want to you know what i start by just saying i think that final piece there there's a lot of people that, you know, don't understand that actually there's a lot more to coaching than just the technical, tactical information. It's those soft skills that you could develop you know, that are transferable for different industries, different walks of life. You know, you talk you know, about supporting individuals. Actually, there's a lot of there's a lot of skills that go into that, whether that's you know, the, the the ability to build those relationships, foster those relationships, um, connect with people from different backgrounds and different cultures. You know, all, all, all those types of things that kind of just fall into the, those soft skills, which often don't get talked about a lot and, until until you're in the thick of a situation where you really need them. Um, but I, I want to take you back right to the right to the beginning of what you were saying as well, in that, you know, you mentioned there about, you know, you like using the same sessions again and again. And I think that's a, it, it, it's a really good talking point because I think a lot of coaches do 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 go into sessions thinking I've got to come up with something new all the time. I actually know if it works, it works. Stick to it. You know, if players enjoy it and you enjoy delivering it, why change it? Doesn't mean don't adapt it. Doesn't mean don't build on it. Doesn't mean don't add add different incentives and challenges within it. But actually, as as a as a base structure, there's nothing wrong with doing the same sessions again and again as long as it meets the needs of the individuals or the group. So I think there's a really really key piece on that. Um, and then kind of you know in between that is. I guess the thought that kind of um, sticks with me as, as you're talking about your journey and how you eventually ended up into the, you know, in the academy situation there is that you need to kind of go into every session as if it's an interview. Someone's watching you. You don't know who's watching you and, and when they're actually going to kind of step out of their, their shell and actually let you know that they've been watching you, if, if you like. Um, in your case, it was, you know, it was someone walking across in a car park watching you deliver a session, but actually... You don't know. He might have been walking across the car park, but that might not be the first time he's seen you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and keep almost keeping tabs on you to the point where you think, actually, do you know what? I really like this guy. I really like this girl. Um, so I think I think it's really really key piece to kind of touch on there. But I'm I'm really interested to kind of you know find out a little bit more about you know what 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 kind of took you towards coach education, coach development, because obviously you know it, it's, it's kind of similar. I, I liken it to the the comparison of you know players becoming coaches it's not as simple as players becoming coaches it's not as simple as coaches becoming coach developers so what you know what what kind of shifted you towards that direction of things um in in, in a lot of cases as well for, for people that move into coach development is probably because it, it it cannot sometimes offer a bit more stability as a career 
um, than a coach itself. But you know, what, what was that for you, and what you know, what's kind of kept you in it? It weren't the stability bit. It was the opportunity because I was always an officer, so I was either a community program officer or a sports development officer. So I've always done a lot of bit of, in terms of the admin stuff, the developing, starting off programs, looking after coaches' welfares and stuff like that. So. But what happened was when I was at Greenhouse, there was a gentleman called Mark Curtin and my role was I was multi sports development officer. So I used to work with a lot of the coaches that were working in schools, working in schools that um, work in disability schools. So I was doing a lot of I was a program manager. Um, That was my title. I was a program manager looking after those. And he came up to me and he said, look, we've got a football club. And it's a program that we've got in South London. We'd like to base you there. I was like, are you joking? I left Leighton Orient Community Sports Program and I left the football club because I wanted to get out of football. I, that's why I wanted, I had that career change. And he goes, no, you've got a niche. You know, you're really good with the coaches that you're working with in the multi-sports. Um, but you're an absolutely blinding coach as well. Um, and put the two together, we want you to go there to upskill the coaches. So obviously, me with my big head, um, I've gone down there and it was the best experience I've ever had. So they had over 20 odd teams. They were based in Birch's Park. It was called Greenhouse Football Club, um, Bethwin Beth, Beth FC. And I think they turned into Greenhouse Football Club. And um, they had coaches there that I look down at and I'd be open and I hope they're listening to this right now and I look down at them because some of them didn't have their FA level one some of them um used to you know didn't dress in the attire that I was used to as a sports coach or a football coach um some of them didn't do the things that I wanted or what I expected to see as a football coach and I was very distant from them I locked myself away. I went and done observations and I spoke to them in a way that I think was demeaning and I also think was disrespectful. And I realise that now because what I realise is that they were the best coaches I've probably ever worked with. And I say that is that they were working with kids who from different backgrounds, you know, different social economics, um, different languages, um, <laughs> behaviour wise like different charts to what I was used to. And they were able to do that two, three times a week. Um, none of this stuff about minibuses. So, you know, if people say to me, oh yeah, we haven't got a minibus at this academy or we don't do, like these guys would get the bus stop, meet them there, take them to the game at Tooting Beck, take them back, um, spend four or five hours with them. So it was more than being a coach. You know, it was them being a mentor to these players being a teacher, some of them being father figures, to be be honest with you, um, and everything that went with it. So I learned a lot from that experience, and I was thankful that I got given that experience to do that. Um, I got a good, I got a few people that came back to me after that experience and during it saying, I really appreciate you getting me on my youth module one and my youth module two and doing my level two, because it's really helped me out in my coaching. And in turn, I said, thank you for giving me that information and that knowledge on how to treat human beings in different 
environmental settings. Um, so lucky enough, 10 years ago, there was a mentor role. It was the first one with the FA that came out and I applied for it and I got the role and it's due to the work that I've done at Greenhouse, to be fair, um, and the life experience with, with Greenhouse. And during the mentoring, I've done that for two years and there was an opportunity to be a CCD that was called a county coach developer. And I applied for that and I got the role. And to this day, I don't know how I got it because the people that got the roles in the different regions all had a UEFA license, all had tutoring experiences. And I remember saying when I got the job to the gentleman, Andy Paul, and I said, why did you give me this role? Like, I don't even know how to deliver FA level one. And he went, because you're authentic and you give, you can give um, our coach developers that we've got in a team as much as they can give you in terms of your life skills and, you know, your experiences. And right there, when he said that, I was like, oh, my God, you know, it's not about measuring up being like other people. It's about being yourself. And to be and to this day, I'm really glad that I've done this podcast with you. Is that to this day, I'm really grateful to Greenhouse FC because if I didn't have that experience of learning how to talk to people, deal with people, and to be honest with you, the first year was a car crash. Everybody hated me. I hated everybody else. And it was about trying to bridge those relationships. Some of them I didn't bridge because I was an absolute idiot before I went in and I put my hand up. But then just looking at, you talked about softer skills, yes. Like these guys had skills, softer skills that I've never seen in any walk of life. They were absolutely amazing. I, I think I think it's so interesting because obviously, you know, you, you, you're almost um, reflect, reflect, reflecting back on it while, while, while you're going kind of, you're, you're thinking about it at the same time. And it's almost... You know, one of the key words that you've used there is about you know mentor um in different in different capacities obviously you know your role as your role as an fa mentor initially and then you know also sharing an insight around what the role was as at greenhouse and and, and even the roles that some of the coaches that you were working um with played for the young young people that they were working with so let, let's talk about that a little bit you know, who who's I guess been a mentor to you then in your journey and you know if you don't want to share their name any in particular what what are some of the biggest lessons and kind of um yeah biggest you know biggest lessons that you've kind of taken away and that you you know you wish that maybe you had earlier on in your journey i don't think i've 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 got an official mentor now i'm part of the um premier league future coaches development program so i've got a mentor now um a gentleman um, called Andy Cole. It's not the Andy Cole, but he's a professor in new, in in um, mental science and what. And he, he, I've only had two sessions with him, but he's my first official mentor that I've ever had. But along the way, so if I start off with Steve Kinchin, who got me that first role working at Goals, just chucking me in with those twenty-two reception year one kids October half term. But I tell you what, he was good at mentoring. He was really good at timekeeping, really good at timekeeping. And he would actually hammer me or dock my wages if I was late or anything like that. Um, and 
organised and being on point. And that's why maybe I'm a bit irate when things are not are too lax. Um, because if only you can't get a session perfect and the environment perfect, they strive to get there. And anything below that, it's not for me. Um, there's a gentleman called Alex Cruikshank. So when I was out in America, so first week, he took me under his wing, showed me how to do the ropes of being a captain out there and looking after the staff um, and just being a general nice human being. A um, gentleman called Trevor Jubry, who was at Spurs, but now is at Leighton Orient. Um, and he worked at Greenhouse as well. He came into the football club. Um, first manager that I ever had that was um, black. And he conveyed himself he supported, he's conveyed himself really well, supported me really well. And um, he was just a proper leader, organiser. And I really looked up to him. And, you know, and it was the first time I looked at someone and went, you can see it, you can be it. So one day I want to be a manager at some point in an organisation. Um, gentleman called Ross Embleton, um, when I was at Leighton Orient, um, we're both the same age of it's each other. And we've gone in different ways in football. I've gone more the coach education. He stayed in football in the professional level. Um, still good friends, but in a mentor in a sense that we bounce ideas off each other. So that's really good. It's really good to have someone like that where you can just not necessarily have the same football philosophy, but you can still bounce off ideas of each other. They can critique you back, but then you can still have a laugh and a joke along the way. It's good to have someone like that. It doesn't have to be serious all the time. Um, there's a gentleman called Ben Coatsy. He I played football for him. He was my manager, but we done our UEFA B together, and that's how I got recruited into his team because we're doing UEFA B together. Um, lifelong friend, mentor as well, I would say. Um, who else? A gentleman called Anthony Ferguson gave me my first role at the FA as an FA mentor, but then also supported me in bits within, you know, being a county coach developer as well. Um, and probably the last one at the moment, and there's loads of people that I've had on my way, um, but I think the last one being Steve Smithies. He's, again, he, he then became my se the second person, um, second black person who's ever line managed me, who I look at. It's not just a father figure, not just a mentor, but he's, he inspires me quite a bit. And, you, don't, you know, people might be thinking I'm a bit soft, but you don't meet that many nice people in this world, I don't think, or genuine people in this world. And the people that I've just wheeled off those names have been genuinely really nice to me, supported me, whether it be me getting married, uh, birth of a child or a loss of a child, um, a loss of a job. They've just been the only constant around it because you've got a lot of people that will drop in and drop out but those people there there might be other people that I've just forgot about and I'm really sorry if I have but um I don't think and you correct me if I'm wrong on this I don't think you just have one mentor in your lifetime no I, I definitely agree I don't think you I don't think you have one but I think there's, there's, there's a couple really key things in what you said there and um first of all you don't have just one. Um, the role in which that mentor can play for you is very different. So therefore, you are naturally more inclined to have several mentors. But really, the key piece is in different areas of your life. 
And I think this is something that's really key. Another really interesting point I obviously made earlier is that it's your first time now you've had an official mentor. And I think that's another key, you know, really the discussion point here in that one, maybe just share some insight from your perspective, just how important it is to have a mentor in the first place. Second of all, um, how important it is to maybe establish and identify what the mentor's role is for you? Because I think we can really easily fall into, a, um, I don't want to call it a trap necessarily, but we can really easily fall into the, in, into the lane of um, seeking mentorship or trying to trying to find some sort of support and guidance but actually there's not enough consideration or thought gone into the gone into it beforehand around right what is this person going to provide for me and i think you know kind of to build on that it's really important to understand it's in a mentoring mentor mentee relationship certainly from my perspective it can never be one way um it can never be just about what I'm, what am i going to get from this person but actually what are you going to give back and give back doesn't mean you're necessarily going to share, uh, you know, you, you're going to be giving off, you know, whether it's finances or conversation or whatever. But actually, sometimes it might just be a different thought process, a willingness to come. You know, one, one, one of the tips I always have for mentee, mentees in particular, and this isn't specific to coaching, I think it's just generally, but I'll, I'll use coaches as an example in this, is if you have a mentor, um, think about some of the things that they're actually sharing with you. Go away and try it. But actually, that, that's not the key part. The key part is to come back and share with them your understanding of what you've actually taken away and how it's worked out for you. And in, in some cases, if it's not even worked out for you, then share that because I think if you ask any person who's in a in a mentor type of role, whether formally or informally, they want to learn just as much as they're, they're trying to share the information. Um, so, you know, sometimes going back to the mentor with that information just shows A, your commitment to the process, if you like, um, but B, actually, there may be some considerations that they have to make now because they haven't experienced it before themselves. So you, you could actually bring in a lot of valuable information to that process as well. And I think that is probably really key for me. So, I mean, just, you know, just from your perspective, I don't know if you want to maybe share some insights around a, you, you might agree or disagree with anything I've just said, but in particular, how, what kind of steps or processes maybe people should take in, in terms of identifying that mental? Because like I said, you know, if we go back to coach education as an example in particular, you, you often get, you know, in your action plan when you finish a course or when you finish a qualification, it's, right, go away and observe an experienced coach. Yeah, but what does that actually look like? And what am I actually going after? And I think this is where sometimes uh, coaches in naivety can just end up following anyone and, and observing anyone and everyone and not really identifying clearly deliberately and intentionally what they're actually going after to observe like you might have a coach out there who's actually excellent at you know timekeeping so let's go and observe his timekeeping and how that person does that and on the flip side I might have another mentor another experienced coach I'm going to observe who's who's very good at building those relationships how does that person do that how does she do that how does he do that what are some of the conversations like what are some of the you know conversation starters and the way they manage and, and draw up those conversations but it could be anything but ultimately do we understand why we're going to observe that particular individual or are we just going to observe? And I think we need to kind of really break down that habit um, and get away from doing that side of it. If that, if you like, if you like. Yeah, I, I completely understand what you just said there. And I do agree with what you just said. Uh, the first bit about the mentor uh, is probably knowing the why, you know, what is 
why do you want the mentor? The reason why I wanted a mentor is I wanted to talk to someone away from football who had a business brain and was able to support me maybe getting a career out of football, out of coaching. So that is this the first, was that the first kind of time where you've actually thought I, I want a mentor? Or no. was that the first kind of time where you thought I want a mentor, but I, I now know specifically what I want a mentor for? No, I, I don't know what other people's situations are. It is I never really wanted to mentor. And when I say that, it's not because I've never searched for a mentor. This opportunity got given to me is that on the programme that I'm on at the moment for the next couple of years, there's a mentor available to support you. And when I sat down with the gentleman in regards to it, I said, I don't want a mentor that's working in football or anything to do. For, I don't want them even to like football. You know, the conversation that I want them to have to have with this person is going to be gener generic and I want this person to maybe give me opportunities or for me to find opportunities away from football. So I think the why bit, and this is where I've only had two sessions with this mentor. The key thing is you said it's the two-way relationship, most definitely. I love the, the two meetings that we've had. He's given me stuff to go away to do, to think about, and I've come back and that's the first 10, 15 minutes. It's me chatting through it. You know, what's my experience of watching disruptive thinking? You know, apparently I'm a disruptor. I don't see it, but now I do see it because I've seen the um, TED Talk video. And, you know, how can I put that in a positive light into what's, what, what I do as a coach developer, but then also my family world as well, my family life and using it like that. So that's the first thing that the mentors helped me with. The second thing is that if you are able to get a mentor outside your organisation um, or it's found for you, it's good to do sometimes some of those tests to find out a little bit about yourself. Um, not really the biggest fan of them, like those, they call it the psycho... Psychometric stuff. Yeah, well, that's... It, it, you know it reminds me, I've done one, um, I've done one about three or four years ago and I said uh, whoever, whoever's put this together has been watching me for the past five years <laughs> yeah 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 no no I agree I agree because I've done this Ogans test and I was like oh my god like I've answered 100 questions and you've hit me off with a T and but some of the stuff I'm getting to understand a little bit more about myself which makes a lot more sense so it doesn't so I'll give you one example is you know one of the things says that me being disruptor but it's not me being hands up and throwing loads of questions at the person who's talking at the front or but i'm being disruptive in my head you know second guessing things and now i know that's part of my personality trait i'm okay with it you know i'm, I'm starting to deal with it but now how can i the stuff that's going on in my head put my hand up and form a question maybe to get an answer rather than going out of the room without having an answer. So that's why this mentor at this present time, um, it's only been two sessions, um, has really helped me. But to go back to your first point, I think the coaches that are on this or whoever's on this, just think about your why. Why do you want one? And what's it going to do for you? And um, a top tip for me would be try to get someone that's not in the field that you're in. All know you.
either. I totally understand why you would say that, but that's not, it's, you know, it's obviously easier said than done in terms of identifying that individual and what they can bring to you. So, I mean, what would your advice be to coaches who are looking for that mentor, or maybe are looking to branch outside of their industry or their, their, their immediate kind of network and, I guess in order to identify that, because I think one of the things I always say to coaches that, that that definitely can help you, in my opinion, go away and observe coaches who aren't coaching your sport. Oh, yeah. Even go better. away and observe coaches who aren't coaching your sport, because there's so many different things that exist within formal coach education within each of the sports, which, which are very contradictory at times. Um, but actually seeing it in action allows you to pick up different aspects of why it may be promoted and may, and may be disregarded in other environments. But I think really one of the key things for me, and I would definitely encourage coaches to do is, you know, if, you, if you're listening to this right now, the chance that you're, you probably are a football coach. Um, football's a team sport. So why don't go away and go and observe some coaches who work in individual sports as well. See what that looks like. See what some of the, some of the key, you know, those soft skills that we talked about earlier that are probably more prominent and probably more, likely to occur in those environments because it is in a one-to-one -one kind of uh, situation. So one of the things I've, I've found myself doing over the recent years is going away and actually watching a lot of tennis coaches, see how they interact, see what kind of some of the things they are that, that they bring to the table in, in that respect. So, I think, you know, that would definitely be one of my bits of advice. Yeah, that's really good advice. And uh, if you're lucky enough to be able to do that and, you know, connect with someone, great. Within the FA itself, We've got FA mentors like yourself, Yes, that have been going out and doing some great jobs. And this is not me saying don't have a mentor who's in football or someone that you don't, or someone you don't know. That's not what I'm saying. It's just what worked for me at this particular time. It's what I needed at this particular time. But I think I'll probably be a better coach than what I am now if I had someone like you when I was the age of 23, 24, that could help me with my practice design could help me on self, could help me with connections um, and can just support me on my coaching journey. And if if you can't get something like this and you, you wanted to look outside of football and outside of sport, uh, I've been listening to that Stephen Bartlett podcast, The Diary of a CEO. Really good, really good, um, informative, but then also, am I allowed to was I allowed to say that? A different podcast. Am I okay to say that? Yeah, no copyrights or anything. Um, really informative, but gets you information and knowledge from other walks of life that you can then bring into your life if you choose to. I think that kind of really answers the next question I was going to ask you. You know, in some ways, is you know, if you could go back to the start of your journey now and there's one bit of advice that you could give yourself, knowing what you know now, what would that be? And I think it kind of really leads into that. And I don't know if there's anything you want to expand on, but ultimately interact with people from wider um, spaces in your life, if you like, and consume the information that's going to allow you to be, you know, consume information in a way where it's transferable. Don't just think because it's industry specific or um, it may or may not be even that, that it can't be relevant or useful to you. But then actually take it, take it forward, apply it, and then implement it within your own life. And I think that's probably the key message I take away from what you've just said. There. I don't know if you, if that does it justice, or is there anything you want to kind of build on, expand on? Yeah. So that bit about if I was going to go back, if I had a chance, if I had a time machine to go back and talk to myself, what 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 my advice might I give myself? Not necessarily even advice. What's one thing that you'd wish you knew back then 
knowing what you already know now? Yeah, I'm probably going to use that bit of advice would be to take a risk. I never went on by myself. I got skilled up very young uh, at the age of 24, UA for B, been to America for four years. Um, worked for quite a lot of organisations, but never went off by myself uh, to do my own thing because I was never confident enough or thought I had that I could do it. But looking back at it now, I could have. What, what would that have looked like for you, for you to go off and do something by yourself? Because I, I mean, I, I, I'm also one who believes that as much as we talk about being able to go, go off and do things yourself, I don't think you can ever really do anything off your own back. Yeah, you so... Other people involved in the process in some way, shape or form, even if it is from a distance as a mentor. Yeah, yeah, so I, I think it's that, that thing about I could have gone into schools, I could have done that PPA, I could have done quite a lot of stuff in the football coaching, sports coaching environment, I had a lot of ideas. I gave a lot of ideas. I never took those ideas on myself. And I think it's just having that confidence, having taken that risk to do something like that. And I wish, you know, myself now, I could have tapped myself on the shoulder and go, do you know what, Dan, you can go and do it. And hopefully there might be some people in there right now that have hit some dead ends. But just realise with all the roads that you've taken to these dead ends, you've got a lot of experience behind you. So, you know, you can't do that left turn, do that right turn. And you know what? There's not going to be anyone holding your hand on this journey. When I mean that, I mean, you're not going to be working for an organisation. You're going to be self-employed. You're going to be doing this. But take if you've got that in your locker, if you've got that in your suitcase and ready to go, take it with you because there's a good chance that it would be rough. It would be tough at the start. But there's a good chance you'll come out the other end and you'll create other opportunities for yourself. So, um, yeah, that's, I wouldn't say it was a regret. I wouldn't say that, you know, I wished it happened that way. I'm very happy in the roads that I have taken. But, yeah, just 24, 25-year-old me, yeah, I could have seen myself creating my own little organisation coaching organisation, supporting people, supporting young people. Um, but, hey. Final question, where where next with your journey then? Um, I'm going to finish doing this Premier League programme. Uh, I'm going to finish my the strategy out of the FA at the moment, working with people with underrepresented communities. Um, I've done an event on Monday working with refugees in Arlo. And again, I've done it last year. I worked with a group in Sussex and it's probably the most inspiring thing that I've ever done. And I want to stay in that journey. I want to stay in that journey of helping others. I don't know if it's in football, yes. If I'll be quite honest with you, and I'm just being open. I don't know if it's in football. Um, it might definitely be in sport. Or it might be definitely in supporting others. Education. So after I finish this Premier League program, um, I'm going to look to do like a part-time degree course. You know, it's, um, I've done a PG cert in sports coaching. I might look to just do that next level and do the masters again. You know, 16-year-old self me that left without A levels or you know good GCSEs to be talking about doing the masters. 
you know, something there. Um, making sure my family is well and supporting my family and support supporting myself, if I'll be quite honest with you, mate. Again, I don't want to sound a bit too, you know, getting the violins out, but just making sure that my mental well-being is good, that I'm doing things that are supporting me and helping me, but in turn, helping my three daughters and my wife, but in turn, helping communities that I serve. So a loaded answer that hasn't really given you an answer. What next? I, I think it has. I think it has, Dan. I think um, if I was to summarise what you've just said, there, I think it's about making sure you're well enough and you're in a good space where you can serve others. Like um, in, in whatever way that, you know, that that ends up being, whether that be in football, whether that be delivering and supporting more, more coaches from underrepresented backgrounds, whether that be um, your family and whatnot. But I think I think the key, real key piece within that is We've got, we've got, we've got to be right within ourselves before we can do anything for others. Uh, I, I think, think that's so. probably one, the one key takeaway message I'd, I'd probably um, encourage people to write, really kind of um, lean on. So no, I think I think there was an answer in there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate, waffled on that. <laughs> but Dan, no, it's, it's been a real pleasure. Um, I just want to thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure there's going to be some listeners, um, hopefully, you know, listening to this one thinking. Is some stuff that they can relate to and potentially take on board into their own journeys. Yeah, no, yes, I really appreciate you, you know, bringing me on. And what I do appreciate is what you're doing at the moment in the roles that you're doing in the different roles that you've got and how you're serving the community. So, you know, if I was a few years younger, um, I'd love to have like an ally like yourself working towards to say, look, let's go out and do this because, you know, what you're doing at the moment and others like you, is inspirational and it's outstanding so um yeah just just keep on lighting that fire and keep on opening those doors for others thank you again for your time man no problem thanks yes well there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.